vision of Blue Valley Baptist Church is to become a multiplying church, establishing campuses locally and planting autonomous churches locally, regionally, and nationally, and internationally by 2028, which is our 50th anniversary. That is a vision that we adopted overwhelmingly a year ago this month. And so we finished out 2019 looking forward to putting this vision into action. And so after the beginning of the year, we began to meet with various adult groups, all of our adult Sunday school classes, unpacking for everyone this thing called the Multiply 2028 campaign. Multiply 2028 campaign was a financial effort to establish funding for our initial multiplication initiatives, things like establishing a church internationally with Compassion International and working with the North American Mission Board to plant a church here locally in Leewood. We are also getting the opportunity to partner with the North American Mission Board church planter who grew up in Blue Valley, Adam Bailey, as he does a church plant in West Des Moines, Iowa, and then some other things that are cooking. So to raise money initially for that and then to be able to fund things like those four things I just mentioned to you long-term through the retirement of debt. So it goes something like this. The Multiply 2028 campaign was going to take 250, the first $250,000 that was given to it, cut it in half. $125,000 of it goes to those initial multiplication initiatives. $125,000 of it goes to debt retirement. After that first 250, all of it goes to debt retirement. When the debt's paid off, we free up about a quarter million dollars a year at Blue Valley Baptist Church to be able to divert to do multiplication initiatives. So we're telling everybody about that. Everybody was super excited about it. I mean, they were jazzed. People were just saying, I'm really excited about this campaign. And I gave the very last one of these informational meetings at the Ridgeview campus on March the 8th which was the last time we met as a church for three full months in person. Everything wisely kind of needed to go on hold. The elders believed that. Everybody understood that we really had no choice to do that. But we never once, never once considered abandoning our plan. We remain as committed as ever to establishing campuses locally, as committed as ever to planting churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally as we ever have been, and we remain just as committed to having an effort to get funds moving in that direction in 2020 as we ever have been. And some of you think we have lost our cotton-picking minds. Are you even, pastor, elders, are you even paying any attention to the news you may have heard, for instance, there's this pandemic going on globally, and though hundreds are joining us uh, back since we reopened it to public worship at the 1st of June, we're still just about 60% of our in-person attendance, about 250 people a week joining us online. Our offerings have been okay, uh, but we did wind up, just out of safety's sake, reducing our budget by 5% this budget year. We're still reeling. I don't know if you know this or not. We're still reeling from the effects of the most divisive election in any of our memory. And in that environment, we as elders believe that our church must continue to push forward with the vision that God overwhelmingly, we believe, gave to our church before any of us knew that 2020 was going to be an absolute 
dumpster fire. We believe that. So we need to ask questions today that are important. Why are we doing this again? Clue me in. Why are we doing this? Why are we multiplying at all? Why are we doing it now? Well, we're going to answer that question today as we look at the book of Acts. Would you please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Today and the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at the book of Acts to answer key questions about why we are doing multiplication even in this environment in which we find ourselves That little mini-series will conclude two weeks from today on November the 22nd, and we will begin at that point giving over and above our regular giving to the Multiply 2028 campaign. It will be a personal commitment that we will make to do that. It'll be a private commitment that we will make to do that. You will not be required to fill out any card and turn it in and us track it. We're just not going to do that. There's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. You hear what is needed to be done, and then you and the Holy Spirit work it out and give. And as we have the money available, we will, as a church, multiply. So we're going to today look at the basic question, why multiply, from Acts chapter 1. Would you stand, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word? Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, if you've been around church life at all, those verses are going to be pretty familiar to you, and as such, they fall prey to a tendency for people who have been in church a long time to think, well, I know everything there is to know about it, and we just blow right by it rather than lingering over them to see what God might be saying to us in them. And we're going to do that today, and in doing that, I think we will see how how 2020 is really not that different than A.D. 29 when the events of Acts 1 took place. And as such, they will help us see these verses that Jesus calls his church to multiply regardless of the circumstances that are facing the church. And he does that for three reasons. First, Jesus calls us to multiply because his mission is global. His mission is global. And realizing that helps move us beyond the self-interest that constantly pull us away from a multiplication mindset. I want to show you how those self-interests come into play in the verses that we have read together. First, I wonder if you caught the rebuke, and it is a rebuke, that Jesus offered his disciples in verse 7. He's just been 
asked a question by the apostles that show that in spite of all the time he spent with them, all of the teaching he has done, all of the private conversations that they have had together, that these, the people charged with his mission, still at the very last moment don't understand the mission. They ask him about the restoration of Israel. Now, it's important to keep in mind that that all of Christ's inner circle were Jews, and they, as such, had all been raised with the expectation of a Messiah who would essentially accomplish political goals. They believed that the Messiah would be sent by God to elevate Israel to the preeminent geopolitical power in the world. So at this particular point in history, there was this sweeping expectation among the Jews of Israel that the Messiah was going to come, that he was going to overthrow the evil Roman Empire, and that he would establish in its place a Jewish empire that would never end. And Jesus had to constantly constantly correct their thinking on this. Literally, in the final moments before his crucifixion, his disciples' thoughts were on, well, who gets the best seat in the court of power when you start this new kingdom on earth? And then even after his resurrection, two nameless disciples complained to Jesus, who's Identity was being shielded from them at the moment. That their disappointment related to Christ's crucifixion was in part that it meant that their political goals would not be realized. And now, in his last minutes before departing the earth, they're saying, so when exactly are you going to do this? Their self-interest consumed them. So Jesus rebukes them and essentially says to them, none ya. That's none of your business. Don't worry about it. God's got all of that. Here is your business. You are to spread the news about me to the rest of the world. All of this shows us that the tendency of Jesus' followers from the very beginning, has been to view the mission of Jesus through lenses that serve their own self-interests. The disciples' self-interests were primarily political, and we should all be able to connect the dots from their world to our world pretty easily on that. The modern church is as fixated on political agendas and outcomes than at any point in my vocational life, and the moment that you suggest that that isn't the case, you are vilified. Trust me, I know. But the battle of self-interest versus missional interest can extend far beyond that. I suspect that if we were to poll the church body on what the church should be doing in the midst of a global pandemic and political strife and division, we might have to ask for a long time before someone says, well, what we should be doing in that environment is taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world. And yet, in the middle of first century persecution and medieval plagues and 20th century cold wars and 21st century pandemics and whatever else it holds, the mission remains the same, to take Jesus to the nations. 
Jesus calls us to multiply because his mission extends far beyond the horizon of our own individual lives, far beyond the horizon of Blue Valley Baptist Church, far beyond the horizon of the United States of America. His mission is a global mission. Next, Jesus calls us to multiply because his power is available. Jesus says to his disciples, when he reminds them of the global mission, that this global mission would be undertaken by them in the strength of divine power. The word for power here is the same word that Matthew, Mark, and Luke use to reference the miracles, the power that drove the miracles that are recorded for us in their three books. The very same, Jesus is saying this, the very same miracle-working power that we saw in his life is the power by which Jesus intends for us to undertake the global mission. And I want to make sure that none of us miss who it is that has this power. You do not need to fall prey to the idea that Jesus is just talking to this original group of about 120 Christians or so. We are meant to understand that the mission being global was given to the entire church and the power to accomplish that mission was being given to the entire church. You're saying, well, how do you know that? Because of the book of Acts itself. Every single time people are brought into the church, they are given that mission, and every single time they are brought into the church, they are, by the Holy Spirit, given that power to advance the gospel so that the church exploded outside of Jerusalem, and when you end the book of Acts, is fully ensconced in Rome. I want you to understand that the global mission and the power to accomplish it is not the luxury model of Christianity. It is standard equipment for the follower of Jesus. Now, why is this important for us to grasp? This may be the most important thing that I have to say today. It's important to grasp because it reminds us that Christ's global mission isn't held hostage by cultural moments or geopolitical strife. The call to go never ceases because the power to go never runs dry. I want to say that one more time. The call to go never ceases because the power to go never runs dry. And that is something that once upon a time the American church understood. My historical hero is a man named Adoniram Judson. I am fixated on Adoniram Judson. He uh, is, is such a figure historically in, in my life that had June been a boy, I was really pushing for the name Adoniram. Kind of got shouted down on that. I've been told in no uncertain terms, will that ever happen, either with Caleb and Danny or Abby and Alex up in Minnesota? I failed as a parent. I digress. Who's Adoniram Judson? He was the first American, along with a couple of others, to leave America's shore to take the gospel to other nations. He was born in the very earliest days of the American Republic. And he was born into 
the family of a New England preacher, that preacher really convinced of the future greatness of his son. That son immediately disappointed him as he got old enough to do so and actually wound up being in the theater in New York, completely abandoning his dad's guidance and the gospel that he had heard. But through a miraculous series of events, truly unbelievable series of events, Adoniram came to faith in Christ Jesus and almost immediately began to have a passion to reach those in other parts of the world who had never heard the name of Jesus. He fell in with the another group of guys who took shelter under an old haystack during a storm. And they were praying under that old haystack for God to awaken the American church to the need to take the gospel elsewhere. That became known in church life as the haystack prayer meeting. After that storm ceased, they went into all the churches in New England and began to beg them for funds so that they could go and began to burden in them the passion for taking the gospel around the world. Just one problem. As they did this, the War of 1812 was on the horizon. Everybody knew it was coming. Everybody, in fact, wondered whether or not the people that were being called to do this, Adoniram and his new wife, another couple and one other man, would ever be able to leave America uh, before the British began to blockade it. America at this point, if you know your history, was really not certain it was going to survive. So what did the American church do? They didn't say, look, young people, this, this, this can wait till things are better. In fact, the threat of war drove them. They said, we've got to get them out of here. We've got to get them overseas because people desperately need to hear the name of Jesus. We may not survive as a country, but the gospel needs to go forth. What drove them to do that? Supernatural power. A belief that the call to go never ceases because the power to go never runs dry. The power to engage this global mission is a divine power. It rests with God himself. And finally, Jesus calls us to multiply because his return is certain. I want you to look at verse 10 again. Jesus had been taken to the right hand of the Father to rule and reign until he returned. And the church continues to look up. Well, where'd you go? When are you coming back? I mean, when are you, when are you coming back? Look at verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I read this as the second rebuke the church receives in this small handful of verses. Stop standing around, folks. You've got work to do. And the reason they were given to get moving was that the Christ that they were looking for was returning. 
One could argue that the antagonist in this whole episode was an obsession by the church with Christ's return. We've already seen that they had viewed Christ's mission through the lens of their own self-interest. When will you restore Israel was essentially asking, when are you going to come back? And then the episode closes with the disciples staring into the sky saying, when are you going to come back? To which the angels say, stop worrying about it. Stop fixating on it. Stop obsessing on it and get moving because he is coming back. What what point are they making? Well, for us, the return of Christ has been viewed almost entirely as an event to hang on for. Let's be honest. Part of the reason so many people were excited that we were going to spend some time this year studying the book of Revelation is because all of us live with this kind of hang on till it happens kind of mindset. As we move rapidly away from a worldview that's rooted in a Judeo-Christian identity to a worldview framed by secularism, we feel more and more lost in the world than ever before. And so we look forward to the day when Christ will come back for us, and that's not wrong per se. I mean, Paul called it the blessed hope meaning that it was something that should give us comfort looking forward to the return of Christ. But here the return of Christ is meant to apply urgency to the mission. If Christ returned this afternoon, how many of your neighbors would enter eternity having never heard the gospel from your lips? Your coworkers, how many of them? What about family? If Christ did come back this afternoon, oh, thank you, Jesus, for coming back. And he said, who are you bringing with you? How many of us would have anything to say at all? You see, the mention of Christ's return here is meant to light a fire under the church, not so that they will have a prophecy conference, but so that they will get busy knowing that he will return and people aren't ready for it. His return, these angels are saying, is certain and we'll one day all have to stand before him and so many aren't ready, so get busy. His return is certain. Jesus calls us to multiply because his mission is global, his power is available, and his return is certain. And yes... This is admittedly not an ideal time, at least in the normal way of viewing things, to begin an over and above campaign that will raise money and, let's not kid ourselves, call some of us to leave the the safety of Blue Valley Baptist Church and let's also just be very honest about it, take your tithes and offerings with you to establish a church elsewhere. This is a terrible time to do that. I blame myself. I frankly have poor judgment when it comes to identifying the very best moments in church life to have financial campaigns. Case in point, first one I ever ever introduced to you, September 2008, we sat in this room. Here's a multi-million dollar plan for the expansion of the campus. The very next day, the stock market fell 700 points. Diane Freeman texted me and said, you know how to pick them, don't you? Thank you. Very encouraging. I appreciate that very much. 
And so we've laughed as a staff when we were right on the cusp of getting ready to start Multiply 2028 campaign. Say, well, here you go again. Derek, you need to run this through people. It's a terrible time to do it. But the church throughout history has undertaken Christ's global mission in Christ's power driven by the urgency of Christ's return in far more difficult circumstances. In fact, the church worldwide today is taking on Christ's global mission and Christ's power driven by the urgency of Christ's return in far more difficult circumstances than we face. The church in China today, for instance, is exploding, and they don't feel sorry for us. Christians in the 1040 window, the longitude and latitude where the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists live, don't feel sorry for us. In fact, my guess would be they would look at a church like Blue Valley and our people and our resources and our 42 years of being together as a church and maybe say to us, what are you doing? When are you going to get going? When's it going to start? It's not a great time. And it may start slowly, but we can't wait anymore. So let's fix our eyes on Christ's global mission. Let's live in his power. Let's feel the urgency of his return. And let's begin planting campuses locally and planting autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally to his glory and our joy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.